Hello and welcome to episode 5 of series 5 of the Rock and Road podcast. This is Leona Graham. Thank you for joining me, the Rock and Road podcast about cars, motorcycles and music and a bit of everything this week. I'll be chatting to rock legends Thunder. I'll be testing out the all new 7-seater Dacia Jogger. We'll get the latest motorcycle news with MCN's Emma Franklin and I'll check out the latest music news. But first, the Dacia Jogger. The front of this car looks very much like a Sandero, but the difference being is this is longer and it's seven seats. The beauty of this is it's between £15,000 to just over seventeen, depending on the spec. And this is the cheapest seven-seater car on the market. And as a family of six, um, I'm always on the lookout for savings when it comes to uh, seven-seaters because they are so expensive. For that price, the spec outside is pretty decent, all really nice looking, lots of nice trim. The rear lights um, look a little bit like Volvo lights at the back. Uh, the front lights, uh, just like the front of the Sandero. And inside, you've still got a load of this stuff that you would get in a much more expensive car, like Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. It's got a screen in the middle. There is a phone holder just to the right of the screen, which I find is too small for my big phone. I have to take it out of the case. Um, and it's a little bit fiddly. The idea of it's great because the charging point is just up there as well, nice and high. But in practice, a bit fiddly and a little bit in the way of the steering wheel with the size of phones as they are today. This would have worked with the phones that we had about 10 years ago. For the stereo, um, to operate that, there is a volume control and operations on a separate stalk, not on the steering wheel. But that's okay, you soon get used to that. Quite a high-spec trim inside as well. Really nice looking and the aircon buttons are something you would see on a much more expensive new car. So overall very impressive. The boot, with all seven seats up you get 160 litres in the boot space area. Pretty small but most seven seaters are. If you were to go down to the five seats you get a lot more obviously, 700 litres. But as we'll discover with the boys later on, it's a bit of a fiddle to get it into the 700 litres position. What I love about the outside is the roof bars come as standard and they go long ways across the car and then the first thing I normally have to do is to go on roofbars.co.uk and buy some ones that go across the car so I can attach things to the roof but they've already thought of that because these roof bars can be taken off and twizzled to go the other direction so when you go on holiday there you go all sorted you can strap your luggage to the roof. Now when you put the seat back you don't get electronic seat going back and forwards but you know, for this price, who cares? You're paying to transport your family around on a budget rather than spending ridiculous amounts of money. And the steering wheel uh, has loads of different options, really low to quite high as well. Okay, well, let's take it out for a spin. Right, it's driving along now. The steering is really lovely and light. Just going over a really bumpy road, but the suspension is very smooth. In terms of visibility, the wing mirrors are a good size and the rear view mirror could do with being a touch larger, but it's, it's acceptable. The gear changes are easy. Now, this is a manual I'm driving. I don't really like manuals anymore. I like uh, automatics. This isn't out in an automatic yet, but they are bringing out an automatic and in hybrid form as well, uh, which is what I would go for if I was getting one of these. But if you are getting the manual, the gear changes are light. It drives quite quietly. Um, obviously it's quite a small engine, so one litre, so it doesn't use much petrol. The downside of that is there's not much welly to the car. But you know, if you want welly, it costs more in petrol, so it's all swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Now let's see what it's like in the back. 
What do you think of the knee room? Plenty of room for your legs? Plenty. And there's a food stand where you can put your food and drink. Yes, I saw that. Do you think you could get a drink in there though? Let's see, open it out again. Yeah, but it has no drink holder, but you could put your drink there and have your food there, but you have to hold your drink or you could just keep your drink in your spacious place uh, right next to my doors. And what about the headroom, Harley? You'll be a bit bigger. Plenty of headroom? Uh, yeah, there's um, there's lots of headroom with me being six foot tall, so you know, it's very comfortable. Yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> in your dreams. And on the way back, we'll get you to sit in the second row of seats and we'll get your thoughts on that as well. What about if you were sitting in the middle? Because you two are by the windows. Where's the seatbelt coming from for the middle? All the way back um, there. The side, like all no, the No, all the cars. way back there. Like, yeah, Dex has got it. The seatbelt for the middle passenger is in the most ridiculous position I've ever seen. It's in the back of the car in the boot and you've got to bring it all the way forward. So if you are sitting in the boot, you're going to have this strap going across you, aren't you? Tree. And what about any charging points, boys, in the back there? Uh, no, I don't know. Uh, well, no. No, I don't think so. No, I don't know. Lacking in USB points for the back. There's one of those, like, circle things that you... A 12 volt, yeah, that's not going to charge your phone, is it? Okay. It'll charge my tap. It won't. It will. <laughs> it won't. Now, the boys are in the back row of seats. Um, I can't drive anywhere with them in the seats because there's this, like, dangerous load cover which we can't take out. So if I was to break suddenly, they'd get garroted in their necks. So we're stationary. But imagine that that bit wasn't there that we can't seem to remove. Harley, what do you think of the back there in the second row? There's a lot of space, which is good, and the seats are comfortable. Yeah, there is a lot of space, considering um, it's a seven-seater, because normally the back row, you've hardly got any legroom, have you? You can, like, stick your feet underneath the other person's seat in front of you, so that, like... There's a place for your feet and it's not all squished in. Yeah, that's quite unusual. Dexter, what do you think of it in the back back area? It's comfortable, it has a bottle holder. It has room for your feet. Can you spot anything that's unusual about the back back that you don't get in the other seven seaters we've sat in? I think you can open your window. Yeah, you can't normally, but there's a little lever there. Go on, Dexter. Oh, you can. So we're liking the seven-seater part. Now, what happens if we need to put the seats down? Let's go and have a look. You have to turn this lever here, push the seat forward, but the seat doesn't disappear like it does in other seven-seaters. It doesn't lie flat. So the only way you're gonna get a flat boot area is you have to take the seat out, which is a huge fiddle, and you've got to find somewhere to put the spare seats. Um, but that's what you get for the lower price of the seven-seater range. What do you think, Harley? Yeah, I think that's really good overall. Yeah, overall, there's a few compromises you have to make for the lower price and um, maybe that's worth it because seven-seaters are just too much money. And that's pretty much my conclusion of the Dacia Jogger. If you want a seven-seater car that is affordable, there are a few compromises, but worth it to save that extra money. Have a look at all the photographs I've taken of the car on Instagram right now and on Facebook at Rock and Road Pod. Please welcome Thunder. Hello there. Hi, how are you two? 
Oh, you're waiting for me? Okay, for you, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm perfectly all right, Leona. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. So joining me are Danny and Luke from Thunder. You've got your 14th album coming out, Dopamine. 14. How have you made that many? Oh, God, crikey. Uh, oh, it feels like 41, didn't my 14? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we just, uh, we, we still enjoy it. We keep going. We keep pushing forward. And, and, you know, thankfully, there's lots of lovely people that keep paying money to come and see us and buy the record so you know and we we're lucky yeah there's definitely the demand i mean you only bought out an album last year didn't you yeah uh well covid sort of uh, one of the positives was i had lots of time to write songs so that's why this one's come along so quickly well that and the fact that the last one was postponed slightly so that was late and, and this one's kind of early if you like ah oh, that makes sense okay because i really enjoyed the last album all the right noises what can we look forward to on this one called dopamine well, more of the best. same, really, plus a load of extras. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah, you for that description. <laughs> yeah, it's a well, double it's, album. So there's a lot on there, you know. There's a lot of uh, what you'd consider to be um, usual Thunder Fair, plus a load of extra stuff. Stuff that's a little bit wider, a little bit more different than we would usually put on uh, a single album. So uh, it had to be a double album, purely for that reason. Just goes into some... Uh some slightly different musical areas, you know, places where you wouldn't normally expect to find us, but um, we're at that I stage in our career where we don't that. care. Did you say that? I did Sorry, say I must that. have nodded off. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for reiterating that, Luke. Um, now, let's mention a couple of songs on the album. First of all, the new single, Across the Nation. Can you tell me about that song? Go on, Daz, you do that one. No, no, you do it. I'm, I'm just oh, sitting okay, here. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to enjoy myself. <laughs> you have a nice cup of tea. Don't worry about me. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. Across the nation. Across the nation. Yes. Uh, okay. So this is really um, something that was, uh, it's just about the frustration of being uh, what it was to be a musician in the pandemic and not be able to get out and play and get in front of people and, and do what you're kind of going to put here to do. It was extremely frustrating. I know lots of people had problems far worse than that, but um yeah, that's just sort of me having a bit of a moan, really. So your perspective? Yeah, definitely. He's so grumpy, isn't he? I oh, know. <laughs> but having said that, it's a very positive, up-tempo uh, bottom shaker. So, you know, it's okay. Yeah, and I, I do love a good bottom shaker, as you describe it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll have a listen to that one. Careful when you play it, though, Leona, won't you? Yes. <laughs> I will, uh, with caution. Also, can you tell us about the song Black, which I featured on air a couple of weeks ago? Oh, it's very dark, that one. Very dark indeed. <laughs> Just the title or, or the song as well? Uh, both. Both. It's, uh, yeah, it is, um, it, it, yes, it's, 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 oh, crikey, it's, it, you know, the aftermath of a relationship and, and feeling sorry for oneself and uh, when somebody leaves you and it's that kind of whole thing about, uh, you know, re-evaluation re of oneself after the, uh, after the damage is done, if you like. Oh, wow. So quite a powerful song. I think so. Yeah, I think it's going to, um, certainly looking forward to playing that one live when we tour late. So it's, uh, yeah, definitely. Now, going right back to the beginning for you, you formed in 1989 and um, you released your debut album, Backstreet Symphony, in 1990. That got to number 21 on the UK album chart and loads of massive hits from that, as did the second album. In fact, all nine singles released from the first two albums got in the UK top 40. And now, now I was listening to your kind of music back then and I felt frustrated at the time about the lack of rock on the radio and in the mainstream. How did you feel about that? <laughs> you got an hour? Um, 
Yeah, well, it was a, it was a it was a very difficult time. There's no doubt about it. You know, when it came to mainstream, and I don't really think it's it's changed very much, to be honest with you. I mean, the mainstream tends to think of uh, rock bands as as you know unsavory characters. They think of us as probably I don't know burning churches or biting the heads off of small rodents at the weekends, which of course we do. Yes, but naturally, you know. So they've got it, us right in that regard. But I think. Luckily for us, uh, we've always had a, a really loyal audience and we've always managed to sell plenty of tickets. And and because of that, as radio has changed and more and more rock stations have come along, it's almost like they've give us give us the ability to to be able to do our thing. And, you know, if it was down to the mainstream, the chances are we probably wouldn't have. No, I don't feel like you've had the support. You look at the amount of singles that you've had in the top 40. There's just loads. You know, this is something that we've agonised over. We don't bother anymore because um, it's something that used to really bother us. But I think now, we, you know, in the in the sort of you know post digital age, it's possible for us to communicate directly with our fans and and have that dialogue and almost have a relationship with him that exists outside of the mainstream business. Um, and you know, and that's great because uh, you know that means that we're kind of we can't be touched by fashion or whim or, or whatever. You know, we just we just are. Um, God, the I idea think- of fashion! What a terrible <laughs> idea that is. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I think we, we are in a good place. We you know we have our own kind of level of of, of sort of self sufficiency, which is fantastic. And uh, you know, we, that, once again, that's down to the fact that we have fantastic fans. You know. And yeah. we could last forever. I mean, we just need to pickle ourselves and all the other bands will die. You're just going to go okay. forever with, with your fan base. It's just never going to end. Exactly. They'll just, keep, <laughs> yes. they'll just keep getting younger and replacing themselves and we'll just go on forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Sounds great to me. <laughs> well, going back to your very first live show as Thunder, am I right in saying that was in July 1989 in Southend-on-Sea? It was. That's correct. What was that gig like, your first gig as Thunder? It was beset with problems from the outset. I remember we were driving there in a rented transit van with all our gear bunged in the back. And uh, our driver, Des, drove over one of those slightly kind of, there's like a raised areas on the A12, I think, or was the A13. And um, he hit it a bit hard and the back doors flew open and all of our equipment flew out the back. What? Yeah. So we had to basically pull over grab it all, bung it all back in. I remember Benny, he had some, uh, one of his really primitive uh, keyboards with samples in it. And uh, I seem to remember <laughs> all of his uh, discs were crushed by lorries. Oh! <laughs> yeah, it was very funny. But we got to do the gig, and there were probably, what, 13, 14 people there? And a dog. Dog never paid, yeah. obviously. The, the dog? Yeah. yeah. Oh. But the funniest thing is, though, there was literally, that, you know, less than 15 people there. Over the years... Of course, we met like thousands of people who said they were there. <laughs> so, it was the way, you know. Isn't it? Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. So that was way back in the beginning. And you also called that little tour the toilet tour. Why is that? Mm. Well, that's, uh, well, that's <laughs> difficult to go into. Some of us in trouble with a few venues. <laughs> <laughs> and a few bands, actually, that we supported. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we won't go into who, though, obviously. We won't name any names. But there was uh, more than one um, near punch-up, shall we say. The, the problem is, I think, um, yeah, people get very protective about, about it. And we, we, we had a sort of sense of humour about it, playing in small venues and, uh, you know, where there's no stage and, you know, your, your dressing room is the gents' toilets, if you're lucky, those kind of places. So 
that was kind of, it was, it was meant affectionately as the toilet tour. I mean, we've played in all sorts of places over the years, but as Danny said, some of the venues and some of the bands we were opening for uh, didn't take it very well. <laughs> Still in mind. Uh, one of my favourite songs from you is Give Me Some Loving. Uh, what made you do that cover version? Uh, alcohol. 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 Oh, really? Is that just, it just began like that? Yeah. Well, it's a mixture of alcohol and Andy Taylor, um, who produced Blackstreet Symphony. And we were, we were kind of a song short. So we thought, well, let's do a cover. Um, so he plied us with alcohol and said, right, to play some covers. So we, we did. And um, that, that track was very nearly Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting the Elton John song. We yeah. recorded that. Give Me Some Loving, and a couple of others that I can't actually remember. <laughs> but Give Me Some Loving was the one that everybody sort of felt, felt the best about, and so that went on the album. So we are actually drunk on that. I think what, that's the only the recording? one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only one we got, could actually get all the way through as well, wasn't it? We were so drunk. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why you kept it by default. Yeah, well, it was the <laughs> only one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a great story. And what would you say to new bands today who are starting out? Amazon well, is a very attractive proposition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's difficult. It's for very bands. hard. It's Isn't really it? hard. I mean, we, we came along in an era when, um, you know, major labels invested in bands. I mean, we signed to EMI uh, and, you know, enjoyed spending their money for a few years. And during that period, you know, they, they supported us on tour and it allowed us to build up, a, you know, the fan base and from which, you know, we, we were able to move forwards. But, that kind of level of investment and commitment just isn't there anymore. Um, labels now expect bands to do everything before they sign them. And uh, so it's difficult. It's really difficult for young kids, especially with rock music, because rock music, you need to get out and play um, and be seen. And it's an expensive business, you know. Uh, so it's tough. It's tough. Is there anything you would change about your career? I think we would like to have been more successful in America, if we're going to be absolutely yeah. honest. Yeah, right. we never really yeah. got much of a chance. Kurt Cobain and uh, Nirvana came along just as we were poised to do our thing in America. And um, it pretty much changed the radio pr programming overnight. And as a result, we never really got the opportunity to go there. I've said it once. I'll say it again. If I ever meet Kurt Cobain, I'll kill him. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty strong views there. But obviously, I can understand the frustration. That's what it was. You know, there's nothing we can do about it. We have to be philosophical about how it went then. Um, but you know, we're still here. It's 30 plus years later. And, um, you know, we've, we made the most of the opportunities that we had in the places where we could play. So, you know, if we don't get to do it there, then Hey, ho, we'll get over it. So are you two into cars or motorbikes at all? Yes, absolutely. Yes. We love them. Okay. Tell us more. Well, what can I tell you? I had a uh, motorcycle uh, when I was probably, I don't know, 18, 19. It was a, a Kawasaki Z250. It was brand new and it cost me £980. I remember <laughs> it very, very clearly. And I had no idea how to ride it. And I almost crashed it several times. Oh. I had Luke on the back several times. I don't know why or how he actually gave in and allowed me to take him as a pillion passenger. <laughs> but you did, didn't you, you maniac? Yeah, I've not got on a bike since. Scared the crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah yes. it, was, it was fantastic i mean I, I loved it i never had a license it was terrible it was an awful awful thing and i was completely illegal but what can i tell you i was a difficult child from south london but um <laughs> as the years have gone by i got my motorbike license and i've been riding bikes you know on and off ever since i don't have a bike at the moment last bike i had was a uh, triumph scrambler 
you know, the same one in Jurassic Park or Jurassic World, I think, that Chris Pratt rode around on one of those. And it was um, absolutely amazing. I ended up selling it because somebody offered me way too much money for it because they're quite rare by all accounts. So, Danny, what would you ride now if you were given the choice and a huge budget? Oh, anything, anything ridiculous, like a, you know, like a monkey bike. I love monkey bikes. Mm-hmm. They're such fun, you know, really, really great. I'd, anything that just basically gives you a bit of a thrill. I love, I love motorbikes. I love them. Absolutely. We go to America pretty much every year. We haven't done the last couple because uh, of COVID, but um, we're planning to go back this year where we ride uh, big old Harley Davidsons around and do that whole kind of touring thing. Uh, we do it for charity. We raise money for the NSPCC and Childline. And uh, it's ridiculous. People give us money to go do fantastic, incredible journeys and raise money for kids at the same time. So it's win-win. Yeah, so yeah it's great. perfect. Think, so we've raised over a quarter of a million so far, so it's worth doing. In fact, you're a biker. You should come with us. Yeah. Well, it's great. It's actually... It's, it's a really interesting mixture of people. I mean, obviously, there's us, there's uh, a few military types, a few, a few kind of uh, uh, people from the financial sector. But it's great fun. It's a really interesting bunch of people. Uh, and we go to like places like Utah, uh, Nebraska, Wyoming, and you see the kind of heart of America. And it's, it's, it's some, of the, some of the stuff we've seen is quite breathtaking. We've met so many barmen with one tooth. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's been amazing. <laughs> So can you just recap uh, exactly what that is and how we can look it up? Is there a website? What's it called? Childline Rocks? No, it's called the Sons of Royalty. Oh, there it is, yeah. Uh, which is, uh, as, uh, the guy who came up with the idea, obviously, uh, was a bit of a fan of Sons of Anarchy. So we called it the Sons of Royalty, because on the theory that Americans are always impressed if you say you're related to royalty. Anyway, um, <laughs> and if you look it up, that's got like lots of video, the clips, uh, clips of previous trips and uh, we're actually doing it again this year but i think it might be full up um because obviously we have to limit the amount of places all right well we'll look that up that's sonsofroyalty.co.uk um and you mentioned touring earlier so you're going back out on the road soon uh, when and where are you going we're playing five arena shows uh next month in may uh the first oh blimey now you got me uh glasgow cardiff um what else are we doing we're doing Birmingham, leeds, Birmingham doing and leeds wembley. and wembley yeah yeah five arena shows um middle of may and um it's going to be fab although poor old luke has got to choose a set list taken from a new album a nearly new album plus a load of old albums so uh, good luck with that mate yeah how are you going to narrow yes. that down luke uh well it's uh yes uh well, what you do is you put in the songs that you have to do uh first and then you try and fill up the gaps with some new stuff, but not too much. I think the, the problem is, is that, you know, when we were kids, you know, you'd go and watch bands and if they were kind of, they'd come out and they'd say, right, we're going to play a whole of our new album. It always kind of felt a little bit self-indulgent to me. I think, you know, there's going to be some people there, you know, saved up their money to come and see us and they want to hear Love Walked In and Dirty Love or whatever from the past. So I think for us to not do it would be kind of... Uh, I don't think we'd be respecting them really. So we have to get that balance right between the old and the new. And, um, you know, obviously I shall be ripping out my hair and uh, worrying about that for the next few weeks. <laughs> How long is the set? Six hours. 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> and still oh, you're only yeah. playing a tenth of your songs. Oh, <laughs> well, no, it's, 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 we have a few. Well, we have uh, other, there's other bands of bills. Well, Ugly Kid Joe are special guests. Oh. And in each... In each uh, town, we have a, uh, an up-and-coming British rock band from that uh, area. Uh, it's Chris Barras in London, isn't it? Um, yeah. 
I can't I can't remember all of them. Can you remember them? Yeah, I think it's uh, those damn crows in Cardiff, uh, Mason Hill in uh, Glasgow. Uh, who else is it? Massive, Massive wagons, wagons in Leeds. In Leeds. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's Piston in. Um, I said Piston Birmingham. there yeah. in uh, in Birmingham. Oh, well, so yeah. supporting new music as well, which is fantastic. Well, you know, Absolutely. we work on the assumption that, you know, opening bands never get paid any money. So if they live locally, then hopefully they can go there, get in front of a big audience, hopefully nick a few. And, um, you know, they'll be, they'll be home by our state. <laughs> that is really good. That's a really great idea. OK, well, thanks so much for chatting to me. Dopamine, the 14th album, is out. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, we can't wait to see you performing it live. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leona. It's been a pleasure, as ever. It has. Thank you. Very funny guys, Danny and Luke from Thunder. And the Childline Rocks bike ride that they embark on every year is actually celebrating its 10th year this year. And one of their songs on their new album, The Western Sky, was an ode to the annual ride. So check it out. The new album out now, Dopamine. The MCN Minute. Please welcome Emma Franklin, Deputy Editor of MCN Motorcycle News. Emma, how are you? Oh, I'm really good. Thanks, Leona. How are you? Yeah, really good. What have you been up to and what's the paper uh, doing this week? Oh, well, it's like everything's got into the sunshine and spring mode all of a sudden. Um, so we've got loads of first tests. The most significant one we've got this week is the Royal Enfield Scram. So that's a version of their very, very popular Himalayan, which is a 411cc single cylinder, which is a bit more like an adventure bike. But this is a version of that, which is like a retro sort of urban cool scrambler style bike. So it should appeal more to those sort of like city hipsters and people who want to do a little bit of like off light off-roading um it looks great uh it's really fun uh good in corners and it's only a four five nine nine so it's really good value for money as well even though it's only got 24 horsepower so but it's just really really good fun for pottering around and having sort of like low speed thrills i'd say yeah that's a good price isn't it just under five grand very good good what else we got emma oh we've also got um this is one for racing fans, but it's really, it's a really, really good feel-good story. It's uh, Faye Ho. So, do you know Faye Ho? Yes, she's been on the podcast. Oh, brilliant. Oh, well, you know all about her. So, we're, yeah. uh, we're, second, we're second with the story with this one, but we've got <laughs> an interview with Faye, um, who's telling us all about her life in racing, really, uh, with her FHO racing squads and what she's doing for women in the sport, basically. So, we're, she's telling us all about her young riders in British, the Junior Supersport and the British Talent Cup. And yeah, we just think she's fabulous, isn't she? She's making a huge impact on racing in general and doing great things for females in the sport too. So yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. She is really interesting and doing great things, as you say. So definitely worth reading that. And if you want to catch up on that episode of the podcast, I think it was about a year ago. So way ahead of you there, Emma. Way ahead. Oh, I know. Second with the story. That's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, okay. And anything else? Well, we're gearing up for our MCM Festival, which is this weekend. So the 14th and 15th of May, we're taking over the Peterborough uh, Arena showgrounds. Um, and we've basically moved the London show, but taken it to Peterborough and given it an outdoor format. So it's much more like a traditional festival. So there's live music and there's bands and stuff like that. But best of all is you don't just look at the bikes on the stand. You actually get the chance to test ride them as well. So you get, get to go on a nice sort of ride around um, our glorious Cambridgeshire back roads on the latest metal so it's well worth coming and you go there and camp and do the full thing 
that's it yeah you can come for the day but obviously it's best if you come for the weekend so that's it 40 quid well spent i think and the weather's brilliant excellent as well so and look at the weather it's gonna be okay (laughs) it's gonna be wonderful a festival in the sunshine is just so much nicer okay well that sounds awesome emma and um, we can't wait to uh, hear all about it next time yeah brilliant thank you the rock and road pod music news brought to you by music-news.com Kasabian are going to unveil their first album since Tom's exit. Tom Megan, the former frontman, was let go from the band and sentenced to 200 hours of unpaid work in July 2020 after pleading guilty to assaulting his now-wife, Vicky Agur, during an incident in April of 2020. Tom has now gone solo, he's currently on the road, and Kasabian have carried on without him. They've said their album has gone in a different direction. I'll be interested to know what that direction is. It was written by Serge and co-produced with Stormzy and Adele's producer, Fraser T. Smith. So personally, I'm a little bit concerned as to what the sound is going to be. I hope they're still following in the rock vein, but we shall see. New albums to look out for that are coming out later on this week. Florence and the Machine, Dance Fever, out on Friday. And a new one from the Black Keys, also out on Friday, called Dropout Boogie. Now, a quick look at the album charts. This is what's going on in the top 10. At 10, Harry Styles. I'm not the greatest fan. We've got Weekend at 9. Olivia Rodrigo at number 8. Block Party, new entry at number 7. Little Mix at 6. I shall leave my thoughts to myself. But a new entry at number 5. We've been talking about the album at the start of this podcast from the one and only Thunder. Dopamine went straight in at number 5, which is fantastic news. At 4, Ed Sheeran. At 3, Ramstein, a German hard rock band. New entry. Another new entry at number two with an American rapper called Future. And also at number one, I'm pleased to say the Blossoms are at number one with a new entry for their album Ribbon Around the Bomb. And it's great to see some rock and indie bands in the top five this week on the UK album chart. And a quick word about Muse, who were live at the Hammersmith Odeon. Actually, it's not even called that anymore, is it? It's the Eventim Apollo. Was it even called the Odeon or am I mixing that up with something else? It was called the Hammersmith Apollo. But anyway, a relatively small venue in London, about 3,000 people, compared to about 70,000 where you normally see Muse because they normally just do massive stadium shows. So it was incredible. It was standing only in the stalls area. And at first I was like, oh God, I hate standing up. But I'm so glad I was forced into standing up because you get into it so much more than if you are sat up in the gallery whatever it is upstairs what they called um the circle that's it um you get into it so much more because we saw them at the royal albert hall and we were sitting for that and it's just too civilized you need to jump up and down and go crazy and that's the kind of band you do go crazy to and if you've heard muse on the radio and thought oh, they're okay can take them or leave them i was a bit like that until i saw them live on the drones tour a few years ago and i didn't despite playing them on the radio for years i didn't really know them that well And I went to this concert on the Drones tour for Muse and I was like, this is amazing. What have I been missing? And we became instant super fans overnight because they are so much heavier and louder in person. They are like a really, really good heavy rock band, but tuneful at the same time. Incredible vocals from Matt Bellamy. Also with him being a really amazing musician, will suddenly jump on the piano and do some mental classical piano section as well in the middle of some heavy rock song you need to see it and hear it to believe it if there's one thing you do in the next year or i'll give you two years next two years is to see muse please tick off that box
Thank you so much for listening to the Rock and Road podcast. If there's a particular car or bike you want me to feature or a band you'd like me to speak to, please do get in touch. And remember, look at all the photographs from this week's episode of the Dacia Jogger, Thunder and loads more on Instagram and Facebook at Rock and Road Pod, also on Twitter as well. Thank you for listening. Catch you next time. Thank you.